Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. Thank you, Beasley family. And thank you for our worship team that led us in singing today. And now we continue our worship as we allow God's Word to speak to our hearts. And so let's just stop and ask the Lord to open our eyes to truth. That's the great need that we have every day, that the truth would set us free. Of course, opposite of truth is lie, and Satan is the father of lies. And so his goal today is to discourage you, to distract you, to make you feel defeated. But if you're a believer in Christ, you're more than a conqueror. And so it's all about facts of the gospel. Our feelings fluctuate. They ebb and flow. How many of you didn't feel like a conqueror this week? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you felt perfect all week and you had a really good week? Raise your hand. All right. We'll get ready for next week because I'm sure just around the corner, feelings will fluctuate. They'll be up. They'll be down. But today, as we hear the preaching and teaching of God's word, the goal is to allow God's truth to speak and for that to transform our thoughts, transform our life, and ultimately transform those around us. And so with that said, Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we're going to do a quick review of what we looked at a couple of weeks ago in this short series, Gospel-Shaped Families. Uh, And it's no uh, mystery that this is in the midst of our missions month, because, folks, the greatest mission field that we have is our home and the the goal of reaching our homes and, and seeing our homes strengthened. And so we're intertwining this series in between our missionaries that are here And just asking the Lord to strengthen our homes, make our marriages uh, what they should be, and help us as parents to guide the hearts of our children. And so with that said, we're focused today on parenting in light of the gospel, and we'll get there after just a short review. Father, thank you for this short time that we have now to look into your word, to stir our hearts according to truth. We pray, Holy Spirit, you said, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to lead us and guide us into all truth. And in knowing the truth, we're set free. And in knowing the truth, our lives are transformed. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help me in the time that I have to communicate clearly, concisely, and effectively the truth you've laid on my heart for our church family this week. Thank you for my brothers and sisters that are faithful to gather as the called church of God. And, Father, we pray that you be glorified through the preaching and teaching of the Word today. And that we would glorify you in our response with our will to what you say to our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with me, say amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's look at God's word. Before we do, let me just quickly review. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about marriage. And I hope that that message uh, was a blessing to your heart. Some of y'all missed it, but you texted me later saying you caught it on podcast and it was really an encouragement to your heart. That, that encourages me to know that that fed you in some small way in your spiritual life. And so we uh, talked about marriage. We talked about the definition of marriage. We talked about the purpose of marriage, the priority that marriage should take in our life if we're married. We talked about the secret of marriage and how uh, God calls us to agape love. Agape love. Uh, let me just ask you some questions just in review with the marriage. Uh, why did you get married all those years ago? What were you ultimately looking for in the marriage relationship with your spouse? How do you view this commitment to your mate today? Do you believe you need to grow in your marriage? Will you make a decision to focus on this relationship with intentionality and purpose? If you missed two weeks ago, I hope that you'll go back and listen to that sermon. We said at the very end of that sermon, in summary, we said, if the marriage relationship is the foundation of society and the bedrock of the home, 
then it is vitally important that the church be a place where one can receive the most care, support, encouragement, and training for their marriage. And folks, this wasn't just a one-time sermon. This is really going to be a burden of my heart over the next several years here in our church that we would strengthen marriages, that we would not assume that everybody's marriage is okay. Because I'm just going to tell you, I've been married for 17 years, and it's still a daily call to (laughs) stop being selfish and focusing on my needs and focusing on what I think I, I should get or what I'm not getting. And so marriage is a crucible of discipleship. And if you want to be discipled in your Christian journey, just get married and you'll find out what that's like. And so we're not saying that marriage is all drudgery. No, marriage can be a delight. But sometimes we go through those difficult seasons. And one of the practical things I encourage you to do a couple of weeks ago, this was your homework, is to go out on date night. And we have someone who did. Jim Newman and Beth Newman, they went out on date night. They put this on our Facebook page. Jim looks like he was having a good time. And uh, Jim and Beth, that thrilled my heart that y'all went out on your date night. Uh, I didn't put another photo on here because poor Jason Clark, he and Jessica experienced their date night at at an emergency room. He about cut his uh, pinky off with a chainsaw. Glad it's still there, Jason, but uh, that probably wasn't the ideal date night that we were talking about because that actually happened on Sunday evening of this marriage sermon. So Jessica said, well, pastor, here's our date night at the emergency room. So anyway, I'm sure some of you also have had had a date night. And, And the key there is to make those a regular occurrence in your marriage. All right, enough about marriage. I just wanted to summarize that and just show you where we're going today. And so this week, we're looking at parenting in light of the gospel. We're there in Ephesians chapter number six. And for sake of time, I'm not going to go through the introduction. You can read that later in your own time just to see how I summarized the thoughts as we lead into today's message. But Ephesians chapter six is where we're at. And Paul is in the midst of addressing what it means to walk in the spirit in all the different roles and relationships in our life. And so Paul's talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit in your marriage. And now he's talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit in your home life with your children as you parent them. And so this week, parenting in light of the gospel. Let's read the passage, shall we? Four verses. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all the parents said... Amen. Uh, Parents, you didn't sound too excited. Let me read it again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen. Amen. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Kids, young people, teenagers, listen up for just a second. Give me your ears and your eyeballs. You know what? It's just wise to listen to mom and dad. They're older than you. They've been around the block a few more times than you. And let's face it, your mom and dad want what's best for you. They love you. They want to protect you. And so when mom and dad, I mean, here's a very practical way that these passages apply. If your mom and dad say it's not a good idea to play in the middle of the road, that probably means that they are looking out for you. And if you obey that instruction not to play in the middle of the road, you're going to probably live a lot longer. You're going to probably live a lot longer. And so children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And just, and so we're talking about parenting today, but kids, let me not overlook, young people, let me not overlook you for just a moment. What is Paul saying here in these three verses to children? What's he saying? He's saying that children, you have a role and a responsibility as you walk in the Spirit. And as you walk in the Spirit, it's going to be evidenced by loving submission to your mom and dad as they lead, guard, and guide your life. And so children have a role and responsibility to make sure that mom and dad's role is not a drudgery, but a delight. 
sometimes we as kids, if we're not careful, we as young people, we make mom and dad's parenting role a drudgery because we're always pushing the boundary. We're always, and, and it's not wrong to have questions, young people, but sometimes it goes from having just legitimate questions to a questioning spirit. It almost becomes a drudgery for mom and dad. Now, hey, good news is your mom and dad are going to still stay, stay committed to you. They're not going to run out on you. They're going to be there even if it is a drudgery some days. But the goal, kids, young people, is to make sure that our parents fulfill their role with delight. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls. Today, young people, I'm going to be talking to your mom and dad about their mission in watching for your soul. They're not just there to police your behavior. Their number one goal in life is to watch over, to nurture, to care for your soul. And so God says that we have authorities in our life because they're there as our spiritual oversight. As they that must give account, your mom and dad are going to stand before God one day and to give account and that they may do this with joy and not with grief. So young people, can I just encourage you today as you hear me preaching to your mom and dad and preaching with your mom and dad, encouraging your mom and dad in their parenting role, can I encourage you to make sure that you make your submission to them with joy so that it's not grief to them? Can I get an amen from the young people? Amen. That, that didn't sound as strong as the parents. One more time. Can I get an amen from the young people in the house? Amen. All right. We're going to do our best, Pastor. Why? Because it's unprofitable. It just doesn't make sense to push against. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, really, your obedience to your mom and dad is a sign of your trust in God. Notice it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This phrase is going to come up a lot in our message today because this phrase really puts it where it is. It's not just obedience for obedience sake. It's, it's really your spiritual reflection of your trust in God, children. That when you obey your mom and dad, you're really saying, God, I trust you that you gave me my mom and dad when I had no choice in the matter. And I trust that you know best for me. And so I'm going to choose to obey them and honor them. And so... Obedience, And so, young people, I just had to stop for a moment and give you a little sermonette there because we're talking to parents today, but you really do help in that situation as your mom and dad seek to watch for your souls. Now, verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The main thought today that we're going to see as we meditate on this verse and look at a couple of other passages is this. Gospel-shaped parenting, and there's the first blank you can fill out in your sermon notes there. Gospel-shaped parenting realizes that the goal of parenting is not just the control of behavior, but rather the transformation of the heart and the life. This is the goal of gospel-shaped parenting. Parenting that doesn't just try to fix the symptoms, but parenting that really focuses on the root, on the core, on the inside. Shepherding the heart, molding the heart because when you get the inside right, the outside can't help but flourish and be transformed. So behavior follows a right belief and a right focus on shaping the heart. So gospel-shaped parenting realizes that the goal of parenting is not just the control of behavior, but rather it's the transformation of the heart and the life. I love the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs was really written from the perspective of a, of a father giving a list of instruction to his son. And over and over in the book of Proverbs, you'll see this phrase come up. My son, 
Give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Catch that, parents. Parents, our focus in our parenting is that our children would give us their heart, that we would get their heart and their eyes are observing your ways, mom and dad. Their eyes are listening or their ears are listening to to your story that you're proclaiming with your life. They're watching. And so the goal is the heart. And with that thought, I want to share with you four ways that the gospel transforms our parenting to where we know that we're ministering to the to the heart need and not just the outward behavior, trying to control outcomes. And so all this is going to make sense by the time we get to the end. So four truths, write these down. Number one, the gospel transforms parenting by revealing who our children really are. The gospel transforms parenting. When we have the gospel as the main focus, as the filter, as every experience of life passing through this grid, through this filter of a gospel focus and understanding, what it's going to do is it's going to help us understand who our children really are. Now notice back again that phrase in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. It it pops up a couple of times. It pops up in verse 1 where it says, children obey your parents in the Lord. And then it shows up in verse 4, not as clearly, but but you'll see it. It says at the end of verse 4, fathers, bring them up in the nurture and in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I believe that this phrase in verse 1 and verse 4 helps us understand and realize that parenting is not primarily a physical duty or a social responsibility. Parenting at its core is a spiritual calling. And we know that, but it's important to see God's word and the focus of God's word here. When he's talking about the home, he's saying, listen, parents, Your goal is in the Lord. It's a spiritual calling, not a physical responsibility or a social responsibility. I mean, the goal of parenting isn't just to make sure that kids are good, upstanding citizens who don't get arrested, okay? That's not the ultimate goal. And we'll talk about goals here in a little bit. But notice that what this passage does is it helps us to see who our children really are as People needing the Lord, needing the instruction of the Lord, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, so the ultimate reality then is when you look at your children, they're really either in Adam or they're in Christ. They're either lost in Adam or they have been found in Christ. It's a stark reminder and reality to us to realize that when our little babies were born, our little pride and joys were born, They were born lost into a broken and embattled world spiritually. When I looked at the three little souls that God gave to Rebecca and I, it was those were wonderful days, but it was also this sheer sense of responsibility, realizing that our children were born onto a battlefield where the enemy is always at work trying to deceive and destroy who they are and what God wants them to be. You see, as a parent, you're not just dealing with bad behavior in your children. What you're dealing with with is a condition that causes bad behavior. And so if our children don't know Christ, our children are lost. As parents, we are dealing with the reality that our children are born into this world in a lost condition, and they're in need of rescue. They are in a war, and we are the ones parents call to look out for their souls. There's no... Uh, secret 
I mean, look over in Ephesians 6 at verse 10. And it says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Whoa, armor? What's, what's going on? He's about to talk about a battle. He says in verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This world is a battlefield. And while the war has been won, amen, through the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the seating of the great high priest, King Jesus, the war is over. But there's still outside skirmishes. There's still battles going on. Satan's goal is still to try to take as many with him in his damnation as he possibly can. And so the reality is when, when, when we get the gospel in our center, when we get it in focus, it helps us to see our children for who they really are. They're either lost or they're found. And throughout the Gospels, but specifically in Luke 15, Jesus uses this word lost in many picturesque ways. He talks about lost sheep. He talks about a lost coin. And then he talks about a lost son. And through each one of those stories, the reality is there's lostness. But then there's joy when those sheep, coin, or ultimately the son is found. And so sometimes if we're not careful, what happens is, is our attention gets placed only on the behavior of children, and we forget that it's the condition that produces the behavior. And so when we just are focused on behavior, what, we, what happens in our parenting, when we forget the ultimate need of our children, and that is for them to be rescued from their lostness, when we forget that that's who they really are and that's what they really need, what happens is, is with parenting, it becomes very reactive. It becomes reactive in behavior. So, so if our children are bad, they get responded to in a certain way. And rather than trying to guide the heart and point out the heart issues, we so many times are just shooting at balloons trying to deal with symptoms and behaviors. And so when we get the right focus as parents, it, it helps us to stop being reactive but now we can be intentionally guiding and leading in those, quote, spontaneous moments. There's never a spontaneous moment, really. When it comes to shepherding our child's heart, ultimately, those are all divine appointments where we can lead with purpose and direction. And so keeping this perspective helps us to remember that our children's bad behavior is not personal. Sometimes, isn't it true, parents, that we struggle with parenting our children because we take it personally? You know, our kid rebels and we take that as a threat to our authority and, 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 and we end up just being the bigger and stronger person in that. So much of parenting today from what I see and from what I've seen in my own life is I can get my kids to behave for a while by just being stronger and being louder and being more threatening. But you know what? Being louder and being stronger and being more threatening doesn't really get to their heart. It might change their outward behavior for a little bit but it doesn't transform the heart. And we're not going to be able to cover everything today. This is just a 20,000-foot view at gospel-shaped parenting. I'm going to recommend some things and, and, and some resources later if you want to dig deeper. And again, marriage and parenting, those are things that we cannot just glide past and think that one's message is going to fix everything or address everything. But the reality is, is our children, the gospel helps us to see that our children are either lost or they're found. And the goal in parenting is that each one of our children would be found by the Savior. 
He's on a soul-saving, seeking mission to, re to redeem them, to rescue them. And our goal is to make sure that we are doing whatever we can to bring them to Jesus, to see them rescued, to see them restored, to see them reconciled. Because here's the great reality, parents, is that when our children get saved, they're no longer just our children. Now they're our brother and sister in Christ. And do you realize that one day when you die as their father, you're no longer their father. I mean, you're in heaven then, and, but, but one day when your kids die and you're there before the throne of the lamb, oh yeah, you'll remember that you had that familial relationship, father and son and daughter and all that. But here's what you're going to realize in heaven is, this is my brother and sister in Christ. Can I challenge you parents? This is a challenge for me too, that as we parent our kids... If they know Christ as their Savior, realize that you're discipling a brother or sister in Christ. And so the gospel confronts us with who our children really are and what their greatest need is, which leads us to our second truth, and that is this. The gospel transforms parenting by calling parents to become disciple-makers. You see, Parents are called be, be, to become something more than simply need providers, that's your first blank there, or behavior managers. We've already talked about that. But what it helps us to do, the gospel helps us to go beyond just providing needs, managing behavior, to being a disciple maker. So when you get this right view of who your children really are and what their greatest need is, and, 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 and you understand that they are now, if they know Christ, they are brothers and sisters in Christ, what it does is it changes your focus. Let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you what is the best and most practical and most helpful parenting passage in all the Bible, what would be your answer? A lot would say Ephesians 6, which we're studying a little bit today and, and looking at some of the thoughts here. We'd say, oh, Ephesians 6 is probably the best known parenting passage in the Bible. Can I invite you to turn to another parenting passage, which I believe is probably one of, if not the greatest, and that is Matthew 28. Verses 18 through 20. What do you mean, Pastor? This is the Great Commission. Well, yeah, I mean, it's missions month. Uh, so, so we have this focus on missions. But, but sometimes we're, we're forgetful that this passage, yes, it was written to the disciples and the beginnings of the church. But the Great Commission is personal. It's individual. I believe that Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, could be one of the most important passages on parenting in the Bible. Why? Because the call to make disciples is not just a call to the church as an organization. It's a call to the body of Christ as individuals, to families, to homes, to mothers, and to fathers, to make disciples. What is our job as parents? If you had to write a job description, what would you write? Our job is to do everything within our power as an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer who has employed us to woo, to encourage, to call, to train our children to willingly and joyfully live as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Folks, 
who our children become in Christ and how they live out the gospel is more important than how they do in school or how positively they contribute to the reputation of your family or how well they set themselves up for a future career or how well they do in sports or in the arts or how well they are liked by adults and their peers. This call to make disciples is a huge task and one that many days can feel impossible. Um, How do you get your kids to really change? I mean, you can tell them what's right, you can tell them what's wrong, you can... You can, you can try to point out the, 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 the hardships of the path that leads to destruction, but it's like, how do you get them to really change? It's one of the most, some days, one of the most defeating callings in the world, and then other days it's one of the most delightful because you see the truth transforming their hearts. So it can feel almost impossible to be endeavoring in this calling to make disciples of your children, to, to focus on on shepherding their hearts and guiding their hearts. This passage here in Matthew 28 makes it very clear that Jesus would never call us to this huge task of making disciples, both of the nations and in our homes, without also his amazing promises to enable us. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but at the beginning of this passage and at the end of this passage, there's two promises bookending the great command, the great commission to go and make disciples. And I just want to point those out because I think they apply to us as parents. Promise one, notice how Jesus begins this commission. He does not begin by calling us to something. He begins by comforting us us with something. Look at what it says. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's a promise. That's a promise. All authority, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. These words tell you that that it's impossible to be in any location, any circumstance, any relationship at any time that is not at the same time being ruled by King Jesus. And what this does is, is for parenting, it brings rest. Because we know that what we are doing as parents is we are going to our children and parenting them with ambassadorial authority. We are ambassadors for Christ And we are praying that our children would be reconciled to Christ. And so we're going in the authority of Christ. As parents, we have been called with this authority to address the greatest need of our children's hearts. And the greatest need of their heart is truth that rescues them and saves them. Truth that shapes them. If you look back at Ephesians 6 verse 4, I love how Paul characterizes this mission for fathers and mothers. He says... In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That word admonition is a beautiful word. And what it basically means is this. As parents, God has called us to be the bearers of soul-rescuing and life-transforming truth to our children. That we are nurturing, that we are admonishing, that we are giving to them the truth of God's word. And so this first promise is such an encouragement to know that in this calling, in this commission to make disciples, in this commission to be a disciple maker as a parent, is that I'm going in the authority of my king. I'm going in the authority of God. And so it's no longer an issue of my authority that's being threatened when my parents when when, when my parents, when my children disobey. It's ultimately I see that as an authority issue in the heart of my child because they don't recognize God's authority. 
And it goes back to the issue of what's the need of their heart. Because their disobedience to me is actually a sign of an issue that they have with God. That they're not trusting God. That they're believing something wrong about God, which is leading them to try to run from God or disobey God. So that's promise one, authority. Look at the end of this passage, though. Promise two. Jesus ends his call with these words, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Do you see the two promises? The first promise is authority. You're going to go in my power in this impossible task. And then finally, the second promise is, I never leave your side. I'm always with you. Even parents, through what you think is the valley of the shadow of death, your goodness is running after me. I can't ever get away from it. You're right there with me, Father, as I seek to be a father to my kids. You see, the father who sends you to extend, extend his arms of fathering grace to your children goes with you. He would never think of sending you out on your own. He would never coldly watch you at a distance, but he goes with you. So your father sends you, not only sends you, but he goes with you. And this is a comfort that as we parent our our children, God is parenting us. He's fathering us as we seek to father our children. And so the gospel, it changes everything. The gospel shapes parenting. It helps us to see who our children truly are. Number two, it helps us to go beyond just providing their physical needs or trying to manage their outward behaviors. The gospel helps us to focus on the reality that we are disciple makers as parents. You see, the primary job of making disciples in your home isn't the youth pastor or the pastor of the church's responsibility. We are only assistants, lengthening arms of that mission. But, our, but your goal, your responsibility is to make disciples of your children. And so we see thirdly then that the gospel transforms parenting by providing us with a purpose that's larger than this momentary life. That's really what we've been talking about. A few years ago, in 2009, LifeWay did a survey, and they asked parents in the survey how they would know if they'd been successful in their parenting. Get this, the most popular answers from parents were that successful parenting meant raising children who are happy and have good values. The response that landed closest behind those two had to do with their child who was vocationally successful. If this survey rightly represents parents' real priorities, then fathers and mothers are focused on raising children who act good, feel good, and who are financially successful. I'm not saying those aren't good goals to have. I mean, we don't want our children to be homeless one day. We, we, we want them to have a good job. We don't want them to be, you know, a blight on society. We, we want them to be happy. But if that's all that there is, happiness, stuff, comfort, then I remind you of what Jesus said when he said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You see, what gospel transformed parenting does is it helps us to broaden our understanding that, again, we're not just raising kids to be good, upstanding, well-off citizens of society. You see, because of the gospel, we have a greater perspective. 
children are only a gift for this life. But if they were, then it might make sense. I mean, if children were only temporary, you know, if they didn't have a soul, if they were just a body, and they were just going to live 70 to 80 years on this earth, then it might make sense to raise children with calendars that are full, but souls that are empty. But the gospel calls us to seek a purpose for our children that's far larger than this life. In fact, God has infused humanity with this yearning for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that. That there is this yearning for eternity. And if the scope of our vision for our lives or the lives of our children shrinks any smaller than eternity, then our thirst for eternity will drive us to attempt to fill the emptiness with a multitude of lesser goals and lesser gods. And so God tells us here in his word to keep the focus on something greater than this momentary life. The reality is, folks, our children at best are going to live 70, 80, maybe 90 years. In the grand scheme of eternity, that's just a little flit across the scene of human history. And then what? No, gospel-transformed parenting helps us to keep our perspective on something greater than just financial success, a good vocation, And what that does is it brings balance to how sometimes we do. We see that the calendars are getting full, but yet their souls are empty. And so what that helps us to do is to see, okay, the calendar is getting overloaded with stuff. And we just need to be able to be a family and be still. And spend time with Jesus. Finally, we see here from these passages and these truths that the gospel transforms parenting by freeing us from the delusion that our value depends upon our parenting. You know, as you study the gospel in the New Testament and you study what the gospel of grace is all about, you realize that through the gospel, God's disposition towards us as parents doesn't depend on how well we perform as parents. Um, You did nothing, I did nothing to gain God's favor, and there's nothing that we can do to keep God's favor. God's favor is there because of Christ. And so think about how the gospel of grace transforms your parenting to realize that there are going to be times when you fail as a parent. I think back over my children's short time span already. You know, Caitlin's the oldest, she's 15, and then we got Joey, who's 12, and Luke, who's about to be 11, 10, 10. I get all confused. It's tough for me to keep them all straight these days. But anyway, you know, I have failed in so many ways, even just in 15 years, thinking, oh, man, I really could have done better as a parent when they were really little in this. But what the gospel helps me to see is that ultimately they have a heavenly father who is looking after them. I'm going to do my best as a parent. And as I meditate upon this truth, that, that, that it's the gospel that rescues me from deriving my value and being seen in society as the successful parent, you know, you know, God's approval doesn't depend on whether you provide your children with every, everything that everyone else thinks that they need. How many of you have ever been helped by other parents to say, well, if you really were a good parent, then you would do this for your kid? You know, and there's all that advice out there. And sometimes a lot of our parenting is because we're seeking the approval and the affirmation of other parents. Oh, okay, I better, I, I better do this so that that parent will approve of me. This, this shows up a lot of times when we're standing in the grocery store <laughs> And our kids are not uh, acting properly in the checkout line, ever been there? And isn't it true that sometimes when we parent in the grocery store in the checkout line, we're parenting because we don't want to be seen as 
bad parents. And so we either don't give discipline or we do give discipline, not out of the need for the child, but out of the need for our own ego. Been there. I've been very harsh on my kids in public because we're the pastor's family. And you know what that showed me right there? That I really wasn't believing the gospel in that moment because the issue isn't what, how I look. The issue is what my child needs. And so what I realize as a parent is sometimes I parent from a very selfish perspective, a very self-centered perspective. Hey, parents, you know what? When you're really resting in the gospel to, 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 to lead and guide your parenting, it doesn't depend on whether your children grow up on all organic food, whether they're potty trained by two, whether they're homeschooled or public schooled. It doesn't depend on whether you're keeping your child from all artificial preservatives. There's all these blogs and all these moms on these blogs, and there's all that. And we're frantic. You know what the gospel does? It puts us at rest. It finally sets us at peace to guide our children toward Christ from a foundation of joy and rest, which your children can really sense, by the way, because they know you. And we know that God has delivered to us everything that he desires from us. So the gospel changes things. It, it transforms how we parent I had to run, run through this and, and, and share these thoughts at a 20,000-foot glance. And so what I want to challenge you to do as parents is to think about what it is that you're after in the life of your child. Is your goal to make them, number one, a brother and sister in Christ, that they would come to place their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of eternal life? If that's so, and I think all of us as Christian parents say, yes, Pastor Brian, I want that. I want my child to be found by Jesus and to become a brother or sister of Christ with me. Then is our goal to make disciples, not just to manage behavior, not just to meet needs, but to make disciples. Will we rest in the authority that God has given to us to accomplish that calling? Will we realize that he goes with us? His presence is there in those moments that don't seem like he's there. It's the valley of the shadow of death. But we claim the promise that he is with us through the valleys. Is our focus on having kids just make straight A's? It's good that they get good grades. It's good that they don't go to jail. It's good that they get a job and are financially dependent dependent or independent, okay? All that's great, fine, and good, but what does it profit if we're missing the big picture? I finish with this, and it's, a, it's an illustration of what we are trying to do as parents in our, our, our life and in our home, and I hope it'll encourage you. Um, I think one of the greatest things that we have a responsibility to do as parents is to tell the story. What does that mean? It means that as parents, we have the responsibility of rehearsing and retelling the gospel story in a multitude of different ways. Of course, it's the same gospel, but, but finding ways to tie that in to all of life. So by way of illustration of that, last night, we as a family, or was it last night or Friday night, 
one of those nights, we were watching Cinderella. You know, the remake, the, the real life people, not the 1950s cartoon. But we were watching Cinderella. And it was interesting, and of course, my kids are looking at me now. Okay, Dad, here you go. But hey, there are some gospel connections. I mean, the cat's name is Lucifer, for crying out loud. Okay? So we were talking about that. And, and, and have you ever noticed what the stepmother says to Cinderella all throughout the movie? She says, you're nothing but a ragged servant girl, and that's all you'll ever be. And when she said that, this time as we were watching the movie, I'm like, kids, do you see it? Do you see it? Identity. The stepmom is trying to convince Cinderella that all she is is a ragged servant girl, and that's all she'll ever be. They're like, okay, Dad, I think we see that. And so as the movie keeps going, you see it. When Cinderella gets to the ball after she's been transformed by her fairy godmother, of course, you know, and of course a lot of this is fairy tale, but, but here's what's so neat about the fairy tale is there's whispers of the God, I mean, all of them, Sleeping Beauty, uh, Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast. And so when Cinderella gets to the ball, she's like, I don't know if I can go in there. I'm just a, I'm just a servant girl. You know, she basically rehearses what the stepmother had told her just a few minutes earlier in the movie. Of course, the lizard, who's been transformed into a coachman, says, well, I'm not sure what we were, but here's what we are, at least for the time, until midnight. So let's go and enjoy the ball. So she goes in and she starts acting like a princess. The clock strikes midnight. Cinderella rushes out. A, a glass slipper is left on the stairs. She rushes back and she transforms back into the rags. She realizes she's not sitting in a golden stagecoach anymore. She's sitting in a pumpkin. <laughs> but she does have, for some reason, something didn't transform when she went back to her old self. She had a glass slipper. Story goes on, as you know, and then finally the prince is on the hunt. He's searching for his bride whom he loves because... He loves who this girl is on the inside, full of kindness and courage. And it's her true inner beauty that determines who she is. And so the prince sees this. And so the prince comes to the house. And, and, and of course, you know the stories. She was hidden away. The stepmother is trying to keep this from happening. But finally, the prince hears Cinderella singing and finds that there's one more maiden that they've yet to try the glass slipper on. And they place that glass slipper on, or, or in the movie, Cinderella comes into the room where the prince is standing, and she says, I have no dowry to offer. I have no land to give you. I have no kingdoms. Will you take me as I am? And again, for me, I'm just sitting there. This is gospel. We just sang about it. Just as I am, without one plea, we come to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and he sees that we were worth redeeming. Not, not in the sense, I mean, we know we're worthless, but yet he loves us. It's his love that gives us worth. It's not our worth. It's not our acts of righteousness. It's, it's his. And that's where these fairy tales break down because even in the movie of Cinderella, it's a little bit about morality and how that made her lovable. Listen, in the gospel, we weren't lovable. <laughs> but Christ makes us rich, the exceeding riches of his grace. And so for me, all of life takes us on to where, to where? 
We were driving into church this morning, and I get a text from my son. And I've just got to read this. Joey, I hope it's okay that I read this text. Is it okay? Okay. I'll, sometimes i got to check with my kids about illustrations. But um, th- this one hopefully won't embarrass Joey. Uh, but it's so cool. This is how, at least on some level, we're not perfect parents. We fail. But at least on some level, we're telling the story because here's what happens. Hey, Dad, you know what's cool? I mean, I'm, I'm on my way to church, and they had come a little bit before me. I'm like, what? What's cool? We're at church right now, and as we were pulling in, we saw a dead snake with its head crushed. Just like the evil snake is crushed in the Bible. You know what? I'm not going to get all the parenting rules right. I'm not going to probably send my kids to, be, to, to bed at the exact time that... Rescue Nanny 911 says that I should. I'm not going to get them to fit in this little box that you might think, but here's what at least I am doing. Or the, or, or the others might. Here's at least what Rebecca and I are doing. We're trying in every way possible to woo our kids to the greatest story ever told, which is actually true. You see, Cinderella's a fairy tale. Beauty and the Beast is a fairy tale. Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, fairy tales. But they have an echo of truth. They have an echo of truth. They're whispering the good news of the one true story, and that's the story I want my kids to see everywhere, even in a crushed snake in the driveway at church. This is the goal of parenting, that we would so shape the worldview of our kids that they see the gospel everywhere at work in every way applying to their life. And so that's my challenge to you this morning, parents. It's so easy to get caught up with all the day-to-day, the routines of, of life and school and work and busy, busy. But may we just take the moments. And, and it's not like official set times. It's the spontaneous divine appointments where God places illustrations and truth in your path where you're constantly trying to shepherd and guide your children.